Hello, and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we bring you the stories from the biggest clubs in football, as well as adding insight and analysis of all the issues affecting the game. I'm joined by my regular breaker of stories and pundit extraordinary Mr Duncan Castles for uh, Monday's edition of the pod. And after the uh, Premier League was all wrapped up in a not-so-final thrilling day, we will take you through the issues of last weekend. But more importantly, I think, we have to go first to the future of Maurizio Pochettino. Now, Pochettino, as everyone knows, only two months ago, uh, or three months ago, had the um, choice of the two biggest jobs in world football. He was preferred candidate for both Manchester United and Real Madrid. Of course, those jobs were then taken up by Zinedine Zidane and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, and it looked like he might be staying at Tottenham Hotspur for the foreseeable future, until, of course, he reached the Champions League final and the narrative changed. Now, Duncan, you've been in the game a long time and you have dealt with many managers. How do you interpret the way in which Pochettino's, um, let's just say, handling of his own future in terms of press conferences? How, how, How do you interpret it in terms of what he's thinking, really? And how that may pan out for him? I think um, his recent press conference, not even his recent press conferences, his press conferences this season have been extraordinary because I've never seen a manager of a, a football club give throw so many hand grenades at the owner of his club. Um, I, I've lost count of the number of times when he's talked about their recruitment having to change and the strategy of the club having to change. Um, and now going into that Champions League semi-final and the press conference before it being asked what would happen if uh, if Tottenham were to win the Champions League act openly saying I might go home or I will go home I think I will go home and uh, and take a break from this club because that's um, he talks a lot about the end of a five-year chapter he talks a lot about um, how the money for during that period has been invested in building the stadium rather than being uh, spent on the team, how these things have to end. And what I see there is a manager uh, doing multiple things. I think he's advertising um, that he will not carry on uh, as things have been at Tottenham, whatever, uh, whatever happens at the end of the season. So he's he's saying, if I'm going to stay at Tottenham Hotspur, um, I need uh, more resources with which to attack uh, the Premier League and to attack the Champions League. Um, and if, the, manager, if the, uh, the chairman of the club isn't prepared to provide those, um, I have probably done as much as I can do at this club. Uh, and therefore... Other um, clubs who are um, interested in hiring a coach, I'm available to be persuaded. Think about recruiting me. Um, And then I think there's another dimension to this, which is uh, talking to a couple of people um, who know him. They feel that his statement that should he win the Champions League, he might leave the club is actually genuine. That one of the things he's thinking about here is the way to get himself out of the, the, the long-term contract he signed at Tottenham last season um, is to resign his position 
take a sabbatical and um, wait for a good job to come up. Um, there's uh, on top of these press conferences that he's done, he gave an interview with El Pais recently um, in the last couple of weeks, um, where again he talked to the, the, the same story about the Tottenham chapter and investment and the cost of the stadium, which interestingly he um, put at 1.4 billion euros, um, which would make equal uh, 1.2 billion pounds, which is more than uh, than any figure we've seen for it before. Um, interesting to know if he's talking from uh, specific inside knowledge he's got from Daniel Levy there. He just threw that figure out in the air. But also he, he talked about his, his method of working as a manager and saying that it worked at Espanyol, it worked at Southampton, it worked at Tottenham. And the next sentence was, I can work at Madrid, Bayern and United in the same way. So he's, he's mentioning... Um, those top end clubs, uh, one of whom Manchester United, um, are in uh, once again in doubt over uh, who their next manager should be. Um, one of whom whose uh, fans are calling for the club to to try and hire Pochettino again, and then Bayern Munich, of course, whose, whose managerial position is open. Um, and not only those, those, those Duncan uh, Juventus, we know are currently unsure, but uh, Massimiliano Allegri for next season. Paris Saint-Germain and Thomas Tuchel or Big Tam Tuchel as we like to call them in the transfer window and even Barcelona after their early exit at Champions League could be looking to replace Ernesto Valverde and as I said um, in the introduction he, he, it looked like he was imprisoned at Tottenham Hotspur just eight weeks ago now he may well have multiple pathways which he can he can pursue Yeah that, that's the the incredible thing about football is how quickly things changes from, change for managers so we had that period of the season where uh, we talked on the podcast about it looks like Pochettino has has his choice of Real Madrid or Manchester United. Both of those clubs are changing manager. Uh, they will need to, uh, they, it looked like they were going to need a new manager at the end of the season. Both of them wanted him and, and he was the prime candidate. And then uh, the way things panned out, uh, Madrid ended up uh, bringing Zidane back to the club during the season and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did such a good job at the start of his reign as interim manager, he was given the job on a permanent basis. Now, well, we don't have Real Madrid opening up again. That that uh, will take some time to see how uh, Zidane does. Now he has control of €200 million Euros of the transfer budget and the uh, authority to, to get rid of players such as Gareth Bale and rebuild the squad. But Manchester United certainly is uh, open to question again. Um, as you say, Juventus are in a position where um, when they were eliminated from the Champions League um, three or four weeks ago, the club said Massimiliano Allegri will be continuing as manager for next season and Allegri himself said he wanted to continue as manager for next season. But they've been in a holding pattern where the, the people in Italy are waiting for both parties to actually commit to that, formally commit to um, carrying on with Allegri on Juventus's case and Allegri carrying on with Juventus. And, you know, the word from uh, people involved in that club is that Juventus have not made a decision on who their coach will be next season, whether they stick with Allegri. And Allegri is very much uh, open to leaving the club, as he's been for several summers, um, if he doesn't get what he wants from the club and if a, if a better proposal comes up. Uh, the Inter job, which is another one Pochettino has been linked with, is almost certainly going to Conte. Uh, Ernesto Valverde's future is at Barcelona. 
is in huge doubt because of the um, debacle at uh, at Anfield, losing a you know, handing over a three nil lead, uh, going out four nil. Um, he's got the Copa del Rey final to play. Uh, he needs to win that. Um, but there is a, a real discussion in Barcelona that not only do they need a, a manager who can win the Champions League for them again, they need a manager who plays a football more akin um, to what they they like there, and they, they don't like they're not appreciated a lot of the tactical decisions Valverde's made. So there's there's a kind of an open door to sack him if they wanted to. Bayern's undecided, and um, I can tell you that Paris Saint Germain, uh, although they had, had have agreed several months ago a new contract with uh, with your friend Tam Tuchel. Um, they haven't announced that. The results have been appalling over the last couple of months. Tuchel is um, uh, treading on nails uh, on a weekly basis, um, uh, aggravating the players. Um, I'm not hearing from Qatar that uh, the Emir has made a decision to change. But what I am hearing is that um, senior executives at Paris Saint-Germain are making phone calls um, to find out which managers are available um, and how much they would cost to bring to PSG and what they'd, they'd want as conditions of working, which I read as the people who are um, employed by Qatar to make that club European champions recognise the possibility that the Emir of Qatar may decide to change coach and want to get, um, as uh, our, our friend Johnny McFarlane would put it, the ducks in a row by having um, the potential candidates talked to and lined up um, before that decision is made. So the interesting thing, Duncan, I agree with you about um, the way that Pochettino's handled himself in public, but um, my experience of dealing with Daniel Levy over the years has been that he will be absolutely livid that Pochettino has decided to take this into the public domain. First of all, he insists um, upon these kind of conversations taking place in private. Um, so if this is the way Pochettino feels, then he should have been expressing this to him directly before going to the media. Therefore, I think it's safe to assume that these conversations have been had with Daniel Levy privately. He's not been given the assurances from the Tottenham chairman that he requires in order to feel confident about staying at the club going forward. And therefore, he's taken the very high-risk strategy of criticising Daniel Levy's transfer policy, the club's transfer policy as such as well, and effectively putting a gun to the head of the, of the club by saying, if this doesn't change, and you know, I quote him, if the club has no plan, then I would be a stupid person to keep on managing. Now, in doing so, he is provoking Levy in one of two ways, or probably both. One, he's provoking him to change that transfer policy in order to retain him as coach. Or two, he's trying to provoke Levy into thinking this guy is, is now gone rogue. He's a loose cannon. Um, he knows what the policy of the club is. He knows the financial restrictions that we have, whether it be via the stadium cost and everything else. And therefore, he's got absolutely no right to be going public. And, st- and effectively, as you said, Duncan, putting himself in the market. And I, I, I'd love to, you know, we, we obviously coined a new phrase for the um, English modern usage with the Nico Gaetan ruse last week about, um, you know, Nico Gaetan apparently sending for Manchester every summer for five years. Uh, I think one of our listeners said, he's had some career at Manchester, hasn't he? 
which is very, <laughs> very funny. And uh, thank you for that. And uh, and and Pochettino was effectively doing the same thing, though. It's the, it's the Mercio Pochettino ruse to uh, flush out offers. And of course, remember, the Champions League final doesn't take place until June the 1st. Now, given Liverpool's um, recent form, there's a pro- they will be favourites for that game. Now, I'm not saying Pochettino's stock will be damaged by losing a Champions League final to Liverpool, but I'm pretty sure he'd be happier if he had offers uh, to leave Tottenham before that game was even played in order that, that didn't affect the, the value of his stock, so to speak. And then, of course, the next step is to go back to Levy again and say, oh, look, I've had an offer from Bayern Munich or PSG or whoever. Are you going to meet my demands? And so, I mean, do you see this as partly um, him effectively pitching for more leverage uh, you know, to get what he wants at Spurs? Do we think he actually wants to leave Spurs? Or do we think he wants to you know, just get control of things the way that Zidane has managed to do uh, with Florentino Perez at Real Madrid? Well, let's break it down. Um, I don't see, I don't think there's any evidence that Maurizio Pochettino sees his entire career being at Tottenham Hotspur um, from anything he's ever said. Um, that's not to say he doesn't have affection for the club. That's not to say he doesn't have loyalty for the club. It's not to say he hasn't worked as hard as he can to achieve what he has achieved and his achievements are uh, very good given the resources he has had. Um, But what is absolutely the case is his career is at its very apex at present. He's never been higher in status in the European and world game than he is now. Um, He's got a team that we're not expected to get to the Champions League final, to the Champions League final on a budget significantly less than a lot of the competition. Um, now, you can talk about the fortune that they had to get there. And I, mean, I wrote a column for the Daily Record this weekend talking about English teams' um, supposed dominance in Europe and addressed that matter of Tottenham almost being out of the, 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 the Champions League in November. And that's, again, quoting um, Pochettino who said it was almost over for us after three games uh, and how you know Inter failing to beat PSV Eindhoven at, at home was one of the things that kept them in there. And then them requiring two sets of away goal wins and the, you know, the final one uh, in a tie that they were only ahead in for um, less than 180 uh, seconds in total. So he is overachieved. Um, and I think you're right if you're Pochettino, you're looking at a Champions League final with the squad you have um, and the physical condition they're in. Yes, you'll have a lot of uh, recovery time, but the, his squad has been on the edge for several weeks now. Um, Harry Kane probably won't play. If he is fit, That's <laughs> you could argue that that's a problem for him and that he would uh, be under pressure to play Kane in that game. Um, realistically, um, and maybe realistically isn't a isn't a phrase you use given the way Tottenham have got to uh, this Champions League final, but realistically Liverpool are the favourites for that game. So um, uh, his status should drop off a little after that match. So this is the time to be advertising yourself. This is the time to be putting pressure on Daniel Levy if you want to stay. I think your analysis is absolutely right. um, That Was it the case that Pochettino was happy at Tottenham Hotspur? Um, had 100% decided he was going to carry on at the club. 
And he would certainly have had these conversations with Daniel Levy about it's got to change now. You've got to give me more money for wages. You've got to give me more money for recruits. I want more say in the recruitment process. Had he had those conversations and Levy had said, yeah, fine, you've done an amazing job. The stadium's built now. Um, I will give you that. We wouldn't be hearing any of this um, because he'd want to stay. He'd have what he needed. He'd stay quiet. He'd concentrate on the day job. But that's the exact opposite of what he's doing. We talked in the podcast, I think, um, before the January window, actually, that Tottenham's strategy for the coming season was to go back um, to how they'd been recruiting um, a couple of years ago and look for those uh, younger players uh, like Sun Kyung-min, like Christian Eriksen, who had uh, proved their qualities in other European leagues, who they could buy um, for a relatively low transfer fee, bring them to uh, London, develop them in the, in the team, uh, increase their transfer value, uh, make them central players for them and, and go on that way. And to stop buying players like Lucas Moura, um, who cost significant fee from Paris Saint-Germain, but more importantly, high wages because he was very well paid at PSG. So to stop recruiting the type of player who was you know, almost single-handedly uh, uh, playing off Llorente's uh, knockdowns responsible for, for getting them into that Champions League final. So I've not heard anything that Tottenham have changed that. Um, I, uh, perhaps Levy ensues by getting to Madrid for the final has decided um, he, he will change that and he is prepared to spend a bit more and he is prepared to go for experienced players. I've not heard that and certainly... Um, Pochettino's uh, public comments suggest that that hasn't happened and it isn't the case. Um, I, I would also go back here to a column Guillaume Balaguer wrote for the BBC a couple of months ago where he was talking about exactly this uh, possibility of Pochettino deciding at the end of the season, he, he raised the possibility that, that Pochettino might make the Champions League final and he might decide at the end of the season that uh, he, he'd gone as far as he could at the club and he would take a break from football. And lo and behold, we have Maurizio Pochettino uh, going into a Champions League semi-final second leg, essentially saying exactly uh, what Guillaume Balaguer had written about in the column. And obviously Guillaume uh, wrote, co-wrote um, Pochettino's uh, diary, a book that was published last year. So that, that information has come directly from Pochettino, from people close to him. It's obviously correct. Uh, it's obviously something that Pochettino has been seriously considering. And, and it makes sense that he's seriously considering that because last summer he had an offer to go to Real Madrid. He made it clear to Daniel Levy he wanted to take that job. Madrid wanted to hire him. Daniel Levy said you can't go, which again is something that, that Pochettino referred to explicitly in this El Pais interview saying, I asked to leave. I had this offer. I asked to leave. Uh, the club said no. And, and as a man of my word, I had to... Um, a step away because I wasn't going to force my exit. Now he's had a year to think about that and perhaps I suggest this, the strategy he's come up with is if there's not going to be a big club who's prepared to buy me out of my contract um, this summer then I just resign my position and sit on the sidelines and, and become a free agent and allow myself to go elsewhere when the next big offer comes up and taking a break in football, taking a sabbatical uh, for managers is now quite a popular strategy and it's one that, de rigueur 
positively to your regard. Yeah, and one that's been shown to be successful for, by by people like Guardiola. So, and the demands on coaches are greater than they've ever been. So, all of those things, all those boxes come together and are ticked. And you say, well, Tottenham should be seriously worried um, about Pochettino's situation because when you when you see a manager talking like this um, at the apex of his career, when the results are better than they've ever been, um, he's serious. Well, we know Daniel Levy is a big fan of the Transfer Window podcast, so I'm just going to recount a little uh, anecdote of mine from the, the 2000 Champions League final press conference where Real Madrid were staying at the beautiful Trinon Palace Hotel near Versailles. And um, Vincente Del Bosque, the then coach, had just done a press conference in which he admitted that he wouldn't know if he would be coached next summer as his contract had run out. So the press conference finished. <clears throat> Everyone was heading for the exit to the other side, and all of a sudden, we heard this banging on the on the, on the desk. Do 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 do. And of course, for those of you who are well versed in Real Madrid, that means uh, that is the kind of chant of Real Madrid fans. Um, así, 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 Real Madrid. And then we turned around to find the president, Florentino Perez, had unscheduled taken his place at the press conference table, which Del Bosque had just vacated, and announced a new four-year contract for Vincente Del Bosque the day before the one in Paris, uh, the Champions League. So, um, Daniel, you've got your chance in Madrid. That's all we're saying. So from uh, giving Daniel Levy a little bit of advice and uh, what he might do in Madrid on June, uh, or sorry, May the 31st, we will go to uh, Manchester United, a team who, having appointed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, as permanent manager, have been an effective freefall, as we all know since then. Eight defeats in 12 matches. Um, I don't remember personally uh, a manager no. at a top four club who um, has presided over a series of results like that, being given significant transfer funds to transform it the, in the summer window, which is what uh, will happen. Uh, or maybe it won't happen, Duncan. You mentioned um, during our talk about Pochettino that perhaps... And it certainly has been the case with a lot of Manchester United fans on social media that there is a movement whereby people think, yes, the appointment was made too soon. It's not working currently. And if Pochettino is available, then surely they should be reconsidering the um, position of Solskjaer and thinking about Pochettino. Yeah, so we, we talked about this a podcast a few weeks ago. There, I think there are doubts within the boardroom and those doubts are inevitable when you get results like this. Um, as you say, um, eight defeats in 12, uh, two draws, and the two wins they did get were, were fortunate home wins over Watford and West Ham United. So Manchester United could have been looking at no wins in 12 matches at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, no big four team, no top team in England, I think, has ever uh, encountered something like that. I think more worryingly is the way that Solskjaer is talking about this. You just just pick some stuff out from his post-match press conference yesterday. He he said it was not a shock to him that the way they'd finished the season. Um, he talked about uh, their early results, which are you know let's face it, the only real argument for keeping the man in the job was the the record run of results he got when he first came into it. Talked about them being uh, a, a result of you know good fortune and um, exceptional efficiency. Um, 
he talked interestingly about the last time they played Cardiff, which was supposed to be that amazing turnaround to Manchester United football, which like we analysed at the time in the podcast, saying actually um, they scored with their first two shots and goal, uh, and that made the game easy for them. Uh, Solskjaer's analysis yesterday. In that game, we scored two goals from two wonder strikes. You're 2-0 up and everyone enjoys themselves, which is essentially exactly what we said about the game at the time. Um, and, a, and a more realistic interpretation of it. Um, he's also being <laughs> dangerously realistic, I think, about Manchester United's expectations for the season. I think the last two weeks, I've, I've heard them talking about it being impossible um, for, the, for them to win the title next year. I've heard them use the word miraculous um, as a description of uh, the event in which they would actually manage to challenge City and Liverpool next season. Um, he talked yesterday, he said that we're, we're, we're five or six points behind um, fourth place, uh, third, fourth and fifth. So that's re- realistically who we need to challenge for next year. Um, it's, you know, it's all about setting a very low bar for himself next season, which is Champions League qualification and try and win a cup. Um, so try and win the League Cup, try and win the FA Cup, which he's already had a go at and failed, and try and win the Europa League, which um, obviously was the last major trophy that Manchester United won under the previous manager. Um, if you've got a, a, a coach in charge who's setting expectations that low for Manchester United and delivering that set of results, um, then you have to be asking serious questions um, about whether you want to put that man um, in a position of authority over what they intend to be a very aggressive uh, restructuring of the squad. So they're pushing to get rid of players um, and do things which they haven't done uh, in the last three years, which Jose Mourinho was pushing them to do, which was to get rid of players who weren't contributing to the squad, but he wasn't allowed to do. and then buy in key areas. Um, and, it, you know, interestingly, uh, Solskjaer's position on improving the defence um, up until, uh, I think, four weeks ago was we don't need to sign a top centre-back. We need, if we're going to sign a centre-back, we sign a young, talented one from Europe who can be a, um, of assistance and a, a backup to the, the players we have. Um, and we need to sign a right-back. That's all we need to improve this defence. Manchester United have gone a whole year without winning a Premier League match um, with a clean sheet. They had seven clean sheets for an entire Premier League season. There are only two clubs in the division who have a worse total uh, in terms of clean sheets. Fulham and Huddersfield Town, both of whom obviously are relegated. Um, If if Solskjaer still thinks all his defence needs is a young backup centre-back and a right-back to solve that problem, that is probably the biggest sign you can have. He's not the right man to be put in charge of the transfers for Manchester United. The question is whether the Glazers, whether Ed Woodward, have the bravery um, to say, this isn't working. Um, we made a mistake in giving you this job, uh, appointing you on a full-time basis before the season had been concluded. Uh, when, when, on a, you know, when we were on a high from a series of good results, when we'd uh, pretty fortunately got past Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League 
Um, and, uh, and that three-year contract is an error. Um, you're performing as you'd expect a manager whose uh, CV is coaching in Norway um, and getting re Cardiff relegated from the Premier League to perform. Um, you yourself are talking in press conferences about what a mess the squad is in and what a state the club is in and how um, the gap to the top two teams is huge and it's going to take years to, to fill that gap. If that's your position on it, um, our conclusion is we need a better manager who has taken on a job like this before um, to try and, and do it. But um, I don't know whether the Glazers and whether Ed Woodward have the bravery to make that decision. And I, think, I think, Duncan, it's partly... We know that people in positions of power, especially uh, people in positions of very sort of you know high positions of power, like Edward Ward does, executive vice chairman of Manchester United, the Glazers obviously as co-chairman, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they hate to admit they're wrong. Now, um, I think if it weren't the case that they had given them the job uh, twelve games ago, and this run of results had um, played out the way they have. Uh, and the decision was still to be made. He wouldn't have gotten the job, that's for sure, uh, because uh, the manager of Manchester United is not expected to preside over eight defeats and two draws in 12 games. Uh, that's not uh, acceptable at Manchester United. Um, they probably don't have the wherewithal to do a volta facie and now sack him because of how it makes them look, i.e. wrong and obviously um, uh, mistaken in their rush to appoint him in the first place. And therefore, as a face-saving exercise, he will remain and he will be given the first two months of next season based on um, uh, the fact that they are unable to sack him. And they're, they're, it's a kind of hit-and-hope situation. They're going to say, we'll get some new players in. We're given pre-season. They can work with the players. And then... We just hope that he gets a run of decent results at the start of the season, which allows us to retain him. Because if he doesn't, then Manchester United are going to be back in the same situation as they were when they sacked Jose Mourinho, and when they sacked Louis van Gaal, uh, when they sacked David Moyes. Um, difference now is, of course, they've got a fan's favourite in position, so sacking him um, is not going to be uh, the most uh, popular decision amongst the support, although I think a lot of the support have already seen through uh, Solskjaer's lack of experience and how he's probably not the solution. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because people overlook the fact that um, Phil Neville was part of the coaching squad under David Moyes. Ryan Giggs was part of the coaching squad under Van Gaal and indeed had four games as Manchester United manager uh, and didn't do too well either. So this sort of example or you know model of appointing a former fan's favourite stroke player to the coaching staff has already, already not done them any favours um, since Sir Alex Ferguson retired in 2013. You would think they've learned a lesson. You would, but um, Edward Wood doesn't seem to have learned any lessons from his six years in charge, which is why the best finish Manchester United have had in those six years is, is a second place. And I think that's forgotten. Second place in three Champions League qualifications from six years. That's how far Manchester United have no. fallen in this Duncan. period. 33 points behind Manchester City and 32 points behind Liverpool. That's how far they've fallen. Yeah, and, and a manager who in May is 
citing those numbers and saying it would be miraculous for us to challenge for the title next season. We shouldn't even be thinking of challenging for the title. What we've realistically got to think about is trying to get a top four finish, trying to win uh, one of the lesser domestic cups and uh, not being caught by the likes of Wolves, Newcastle United and Watford and Everton. That, it really, if, you, if, if it was anyone but Uli Gunnar Solskjaer, the precious one, as we've called, as we've called him on the, the transfer window, I think he would be out the door immediately. I think that, that cadre of pundits, ex-Manchester United players, including people who have been on the coaching staff at Manchester United, as you mentioned, would be destroying Solskjaer for the things he's saying. But I, I, I may have missed it over the weekend. Still not a single word of criticism from them over right. anything he said, anything he's done, any of his tactical decisions. I, I think it, we can safely assume there's an Oli Omerta, Duncan, with regards to criticising the precious one. Now, even more troublesome, or as troublesome, uh, what we saw at the end of the defeat at Old Trafford by Cardiff yesterday was a sight of Paul Pogba the record signing and problem child of the Red Devils, engaging in a full-blown verbal argument with certainly one fan, potentially more than one fan. Um, I think most people have seen the footage on social media. Um, There's certainly footage from someone who's standing beside said fan who is telling Pogba, your disgrace, you should be sold. Pogba's response to that is to beat his heart as if to say, this is Manchester United, and then hold his hands in a praying motion as if to say, I'm sorry, and then after that, give the fan the thumbs up, which was possibly the most patronising part of the entire exchange. Now, we've documented Duncan on the Transfer Window podcast many times uh, the problems that Paul Pogba has caused Manchester United. This kind of behaviour is not going to help. Do you think it's essential that he be... Um, taken out of that dressing room and sold this summer? I think there are people in the dressing room who think he should be removed. Um, I, I have a bit of sympathy with, for Pogba in this situation and that once he gets himself there with the fan, it's, it's pretty difficult um, for him to respond to it um, without causing you know, the problems he's caused. I mean, I think he probably should just, should just have walked away. But if you're... If if you're in front of the supporters supposedly saying thank you to them at the end of the season, um, you're and and they start attacking you like that, it, it's a tough one for a player to handle. Um, but I, I, on the other hand, the, the sort of beating beating of the chest and the, the implication that he beats Manchester United um, blood is also a sign of of the, the delusional way in which. He looks at his own performances for the team and his his own importance to the team, and 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 doing this at a time where he has, you know, talked publicly about his desire to go to Real Madrid, and his his agent is actively trying to get that move to Real Madrid. Um, it's not clever, is it? Uh, and again, a decision that we've we mentioned on the podcast several months ago. Um, in fact, when, when Jose Mourinho was still in charge of the club and we detailed from the very beginning how that relationship deteriorated, the problems that 
Pogba was causing and Mourinho's attempts to resolve them and the, and the conflicts that ensued from that. Uh, we said that, that a decision had to be made by Ed Woodward and the Glazers over who was more important to the club. Was it Paul Pogba or was it Jose Mourinho? They decided to go for Paul Pogba. They've now come to another fracture point where they have a decision to make about whether um, Paul Pogba is so important to the club um, they will reject an offer from Real Madrid to take him off their hands, to take one of their highest salaries off their book, to have the opportunity to rebuild um, the midfield and uh, reinvest that money in players who will be um, a better fit to their structure. You know, Solskjaer has, has tried to, to give uh, Pogba the captaincy back after he was um, stripped of the captaincy by the previous manager and told in front of the players, you will never captain the club. Um, Solskjaer gave him it back and, and got one of the worst performances of the season as a result and immediately took it off him again. So, so and, he, and he's taught, always talked positively about Pogba in press conferences. I don't think there's been any criticism of him there. In fact, I think Solskjaer has been as protective of Pogba as his former teammates have been of him uh, in the media. Um, but what responses he had in terms of performances uh, for the last two months of the season. Um, and I think, look, this is another thing about Solskjaer. If you look at that lineup he put out yesterday, um, he, I think he was trying to make a point uh, about academy players and he was trying to, to you know, press the button of, I'm going to bring through uh, Manchester United youth because that's uh, something that appeals to Manchester United supporters. Understandably, they have a great pride in the quality of their academy and the number of players they've brought through and the titles they've won with them. Solskjaer put out a starting lineup where the first the front six players, all the midfield and uh, all the forwards were academy graduates. Um, I think hoping obviously hoping to win the match and, and to be able to talk about it after the game and, uh, or, or have the press talk about it and, and get some you know, positive press after a long, difficult period. What happened? They lose 2-0 to Cardiff City at home at Old Trafford. So, you know, the, the, the problems are so deep there um, in so many areas. And, and it's, not, it's not that so much of it is Solskjaer's fault. He's making lots of errors, yes. But the key thing here is that the depth of the problems requires a more experienced, more skilled manager. Until they have one, have that, I don't see them being solved. Having uh, the looked at the problems for Manchester United, the only problem Manchester City now seem to have is, do they have a big enough trophy cabinet? to put this season's silverware haul into having won both the League Cup and now the Premier League with the FA Cup to come next weekend. Um, now, Duncan, Pep Guardiola has been very kind of, uh, and as you can be uh, when you've won the Premier League, uh, you can be uh, kind and, and, and praiseworthy of your nearest opponent. He said that they couldn't have done it without Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool finished one point behind in a record-breaking season for the top two clubs in terms of points gained. Um, but he also um, said that Liverpool made them improve. Now, I think we've both agreed that Bernardo Silva uh, was one of, if not the, one of the most key, maybe the key player in terms of Manchester City's successful season so far with one game to play uh, in the way that he has um, surprised people, uh, some people, um, because uh, taking over Kevin De Bruyne has creative influence in the team. But um, as we know as well, 
teams who perform at that level, uh, at such an incredibly high level, so consistently remember the 14 victories in a row at the end of the season. Where do you think City need to improve personnel-wise in order to up their game again for next season's challenges? Look, first of all, I think I think Guardiola has been absolutely genuine in that, that praise of Liverpool because I think Liverpool took them took him as a manager somewhere he's never been before. He's never had to chase a title down to the final day. He's never had to get those performances from his squad week in, week out at the most difficult part of the season. And um, he's obviously and rightfully uh, delighted with himself and his players to have proven themselves capable of that um, and I think we'll take a lot of confidence from that in terms of attacking uh, the you know a third consecutive defence of the Premier League and more importantly attacking the Champions League um, which obviously the decision point of the Champions League comes in that period of, of the of the season um, so he's gained a lot from it and um, I think a lot of his management for next season will be uh, trying to get that repeated from the players and trying to stop them from becoming complacent and dropping off, which was which remember was what he absolutely emphasized after winning the title last season. He was worried about this campaign. He was worried about getting it into the heads of the players that they couldn't drop their levels, otherwise someone else would uh, would take the title from them. Um, look at uh, there's I think there's there are big question marks around Manchester City because of what happens with them in terms of their transgressions of various rules. And, you know, for all the, the praise you can give Manchester City, they were clearly the best football team in the Premier League. And I think they were clearly the best football team by a significant margin. You know, we, we have a... It's a one-point difference. We have a lot of talk about Liverpool being the, you know, the second-best team um, ever in the Premier League because they, they took Manchester City so close and they got the highest points total for a second place team but you know realistically that the, the, the points total Liverpool got is deceptive because they got a lot of breaks going their way eight points from goalkeepers throwing the ball in the net number of refereeing decisions the gap the realistic gap is bigger than what the, the league table says um, which gives Guardiola a margin for error, a significant margin for error next season um, what happens with them uh, in terms of off the field in terms of rule breaking, in terms of investigations from Premier League, FA UEFA and FIFA um, I think will determine where the club goes and obviously the club have to recruit with the at least the calculation in their head that this might be the last window open to them uh, for some time, if they get the same uh, transfer ban from FIFA for doing similar things to what Chelsea have done, which is they're accused of um, illegally recruiting uh, under 18 players from overseas, then uh, they're going to get at least a one window transfer ban. So they will need to bring recruitment forward to this window. Um, I'm not sure they're going to do, even having said that, I'm not sure they're, they're going to do a huge amount. Um, obviously they want a, a new central midfielder um, a new number six um, Guardiola's been trying to get that for uh, a long time now I think they're looking for a forward um, they, a decision will be made over Benjamin Mendy at left back but it, 
I think Mendy has the chance to remain at the club if he can convince Guardiola he will um, focus on playing and focus on being on the pitch and, and and not tweeting you every day to wind you up about where you get your information from with his injuries as well <laughs> that was a long time ago he's picked other targets since then <laughs> he's not trolling you anymore then Duncan we're pleased to hear that he didn't uh, didn't really uh, win that that uh, argument at the time so I think he's uh, he selected other other options there but Zinchenko's got a new contract um, and the strategy may be to carry on with Mendy give him one more season and see what happens um, I can see a new centre-back coming in um, for sure but again that will depend on a decision over Vincent Company, which is a big one um, in terms of uh, giving him a new contract or not um, and I think it's revealing that uh, Guardiola did not want to talk about that when pushed and when it would have been a very easy time for him to say Vincent Company has been exceptional for this club of course I want to keep him and the club will keep him I think Company will will remain but um, it's interesting there's doubt there Otamendi's Nicholas Otamendi's future is definitely in question Otamendi was unhappy uh, going into the January window and had to be persuaded to remain at the club he hasn't had much playing time since so there's a possibility they sell there and add in that position but I don't think the the big issue we've also got Leroy Sani's um, uh, contract which we discussed last week and that that is a, a complication Manchester City whether they can persuade him to say but really I don't think recruitment is a massive issue for Manchester City because their squad is so much better than anyone else in, in the division they can certainly improve it but in most positions they've got two exceptional players and that's a big reason why they won the title and put so many points on the table I think the big issue for, for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola's Champions League um, his performance in that competition is diabolical. He's only won two knockout games in three years with the most expensive squad in the history of the game, um, beating uh, FC Basel and Schalke. have always gone out to um, clubs with inferior resources, always made tactical errors in those matches. And that's something he has to resolve because for all, Abu Dhabi will be delighted with back-to-back Premier League titles. What they really want is the European Cup, and that's the the pressure point for for Pep Guardiola. Is can you deliver the European Cup? Can you justify your status as um, the your description as the best manager of football by actually de- delivering the biggest trophy in world football at a club which isn't Barcelona, which doesn't have Lionel Messi in the side? And as all our listeners know, we pride ourselves on Duncan bringing us the inside exclusives on the big issues of the day. And Duncan, you have won us from yesterday's game against Brighton regarding the groundsman at the Amex and a little bit of disagreement with Pep Guardiola. Is that correct? Yeah, I heard um, heard Pep Guardiola um, was not impressed uh, with the the pitch at um, at Brighton. Uh, if you were watching the, the broadcast carefully, you probably saw Mikel Arteta having an argument with one of um, Chris Hutton's assistants during the game. And uh, I'm told that argument was about um, the length of the grass and the dryness of the grass. And obviously that argument went on in the first half when Manchester City were struggling. Um, and then some, I think in the halftime interval, um, Pep Guardiola again took this up and complained that the, it was a difficult surface to play on, which um, you know, obviously him and Jurgen Klopp have a, a lot in common in terms of complaining about the grass whenever things go wrong for the team. But I, I do find it um, 
quite incredible that a coach who has such an advantage in playing resources over his opponents um, has had an entire club reshaped to help him win the Premier League. Um, when he gets to a game of this level, he complains about the opposition side preparing the pitch in a way that suits them as opposed to suits his own team because it's supposed to be an away game. If the opposition want the grass long, if they want to bring the the, the lines of the pitch in uh, within um, the Premier League regulations, they're perfectly within the right to do that. If they want the ball boys to hold on to the ball or they want the ball boys to put, them in, put the ball in quickly as Liverpool did um, to help them beat Barcelona, that's their... Um, remit to do so and um, you know, a man who's been in football for so long as, as Pep Guardiola has should uh, know that and and you know shouldn't be picking fights with uh, with people over it in a, in a game of that magnitude I think we need to introduce Pep to the wonderful game of cricket and uh, explain to him that it's part of the home advantage that you prepare the pitch for the strengths of your team just as indeed I'm sure the Etihad pitch is always cut to within a millimetre of Pep's uh, regulation as well as watered very heavily. And yes, it's the same for both teams, Pep. We like to remind you of that. We should say uh, Pep's a big fan of golf and uh, he must be aware of uh, home field or home home course preparation in the Ryder Cup. So it's, uh, it's exactly parallels that uh, that set up in golf. And, uh, and as you say, he makes sure his, his pitch is cut short and as much water put on it as possible to, to aid his team when they're at home. I look forward to questioning Pep on all these things when we start next season. And... Uh, he can tell us his exact thoughts on the uh, greenkeeping. Takes us nicely into um, news this Monday morning and this Monday podcast of Chris Hutton parting ways with Brighton Duncan. Um, now, this was something that's come as a surprise to some and not so much a surprise to others. Um, I guess uh, what's interesting is the timing, obviously, the day after the end of the league season. Um, Brighton themselves uh, have made a statement about this where the chairman, Tony Bloom, has explained it's one of the hardest decisions he's had to make because Hutton's achievements, which were to reach playoffs and then get Brighton promoted and keep in the Premier League over two seasons. Were you surprised that this has come about, Duncan? Not particularly. Um, I think, first of all, I think Chris Hutton has done a very good job for Brighton, obviously got them into the Premier League as runners-up um, two years ago, um, kept them there. I think he's a very, very solid um, professional manager and he's demonstrated that at all his clubs. And I think he it probably won't be too long before he gets another Premier League job because um, instead of you know hiring the 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 for your your favourite um, Sam Allardyce in his in his uh, for Granada um, as your relegation uh, saviour, I think Chris Hutton is fire gonna- up, fire up, Sam, fire up. What does what car does Chris drive, Ian? Do you know? I've no idea, but I'm pretty sure it's not a four Granada. <laughs> well, I think Chris will be a great candidate for a club, a Premier League club that um, needs someone to organise them defensively uh, and get get the players well prepared for games um, and get them uh, you know retain their their Premier League status and, and build a, a structure from there. I think the problem with Brighton is that um, the chairman, uh, Tony Bloom, felt, uh, well, as he said, that that run of three, um, three, just three wins in 23 games put their Premier League um, status in jeopardy. But he also felt that, that Hutton's conservatism um, 
when it came to pretty much all games in the Premier League was was beginning to grate um, with the squad. I think the the uh, the way Brighton have been playing has been very demanding on the players, and that they're they're expected to to play that deep formation, defend their own box, as our friend Liam Senior um, talked about uh, on Friday. Um, and throw, throw their bodies on the line um, in terms of blocking the ball. I think they've got some of the highest blocking statistics in the in the Premier League. And I think that's quite mentally taxing for a footballer when you're doing it time after time. And um, Brighton have invested a lot of money in players um, since they've got in the Premier League. They were one of the highest spenders uh, last summer. They've increased the technical quality of their squad by a significant margin. And I think there's a feeling, there's been a feeling within the club that that's, they're not taking advantage of that. They haven't, Hutton did not take advantage of it. He wasn't prepared to play more open football um, and when he had the tools to do so. Um, there will be more investment going forward at Brighton and they will continue to go down that line of trying to improve the technical quality of their squad. So if you're looking at a, a, a squad that were unhappy with the way they were being played um, and you intend to go further down the line of building a team capable of playing more attacking football and, and plenty of clubs have demonstrated that you can stay up um, playing technical attacking football. We have Wolves, albeit um, with, with a, I would say, a better squad of players than Brighton's, but they've gone into the Premier League, played technical, um, clever attacking football from the start with a good defence, but it's a team that knows how to attack and can hurt teams and, and finish seventh. You've got Bournemouth, who um, genu- generally play uh, an open game, put a lot of players up the field and who have also stayed comfortably in the, the Premier League. So there's there's no reason why um, a well-organised club like Brighton shouldn't be able to do the same. And I think um, I think that's the, the been the, the driving factor behind this decision. Um, and you'll you'll see a significant change in the way Brighton play next season once they've appointed a new uh, manager. Right now, to on to our final segment of this particular podcast: the heroes and villains of the last few days in football. Um, I'm going to go first because mine is very quick and simple. Because it's one of my own heroes, not just hero of the weekend, and that's Mr. Noel Gallagher, who led the singing in the Manchester City dressing room at the Amex. Uh, on Sunday, um, sang Wonderwall and then Champions. Uh, and I have to say, if you're a Manchester City player, there's no better way to celebrate uh, in the dressing room singing songs with an actual legendary rock star. So for me, Liam Gallagher is uh, sorry, Liam Gallagher, Noel Gallagher is a hero. Oh, I was going to say, Duncan's had an interesting uh, encounter with Mr. Liam Gallagher. I think he's going to tell us about, along with his villain of the weekend. Yes, another another Manchester City title day. I think one of the one of the most bizarre things that's happened to me as a football journalist. I was in the the press room, um, waiting uh, for the manager to to come in um, after uh, uh, Manchester City had won the title, and uh, Liam Gallagher came in instead and came straight up to um, my desk, which I think was at the back of the press room, um, greeted me and shook my hand. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then went away to watch the rest of the press conference. I was the only journalist he spoke to. Um, I've no idea why he came up to me. I think it's available on video somewhere. I think I've seen a video of it. Um, looking completely shocked, but yes, um, 
if if you want to meet um, people stars from Oasis, then get yourself to Manchester City game on on title day because they're or they're guaranteed to be there and doing some very strange things. Um, as for my villain of the week, um, I think we have to um, round off this Premier League season uh, by giving Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, a trophy um, because let's face <laughs> it, kind of you. he wasn't going to get one any other way. Um, and uh, he is the villain of the week. Why is he the villain of the week? Because um, of his decision uh, to leave Ander Herrera at his final game as a Manchester United player completely out of the match day squad um, for what was essentially a nothing game against Cardiff City. Um, Two nothing game, actually. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> which it probably wouldn't have been if uh, Herrera was on the pitch because he has, <laughs> uh, if you look at his record under Solskjaer, I, I think he's played 16 matches and only lost two, which is probably um, the best. Uh, and so the reason for this, Duncan, was? The reason for this is because Ander Herrera obviously had uh, decided to leave the club and he announced it um, uh, last week, um, story we we did on the the podcast on the first of April that he'd uh, agreed a pre-contract deal with Paris Saint Germain, and um, Solskjaer decided uh, that he wouldn't allow uh, Herrera a farewell um, on the pitch, uh, which I find amazing given that he's been at the club for five years and was extremely popular with the Manchester United support in terms of his commitment um, on the pitch and the way he played. Yet we saw Antonio Valencia. Um, who has been at the club longer, it has to be said, but has been completely out of the picture at Manchester United um, for most of this season, uh, given a start. So it seems that Solskjaer wants to make points. Um, and I think, you know, you can criticise him for, for doing it. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a very um, gentlemanly thing to do. Um, I don't think it was a very respectful thing to do, but I also think it was politically quite stupid thing to do because David De Gea is very close friends with Ander Herrera and there's a, a Spanish group in that club that are tight. And um, you know, David De Gea's future is, is the biggest, uh, one of the biggest problems for Manchester United, one of the biggest personnel problems for them. They, he does want to keep De Gea. He does want to uh, try and get him on an extended contract. And um, to, to be upsetting, uh, one of De Gea's close friends with essentially a petty decision um, on the final day of the Premier League season just doesn't seem very clever to me. With that, we will slam this particular edition of the Transfer Window podcast shut. But to continue the debate, and we love to do that with you guys, we love to engage you on Twitter, please get in touch. We have our own Transfer Window podcast account at Transfer Podcast. Duncan is available at Duncan Castles and I'm available at Garbo SJ. Now, if you like the podcast, I know thousands of you do and we very much appreciate that. We'd appreciate it even more if you could go onto iTunes, give us a five-star review as this helps us enlarge the community, reach more people and, of course, it gives us a bigger debate to have with all you guys. We will be back on Wednesday this week with your questions answered. Until then, uh, we all have to say is thanks for listening and speak to you on Wednesday.